Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. We have a very exciting guest. I'm going to fanboy all over the place because uh, we have the privilege of speaking to a gentleman named James Shore, uh, who I have never met and know uh, nothing about except through a book that uh, was my Bible in the early days of Agile adoption for me. Uh, and that book is The Art of Agile Development. And uh, James has just uh, brought out the second edition, uh, which I gather has lots of uh, rewriting and new exciting stuff. So um, I can't be uh, any more pleased and excited to say hello to, to James. Hi, James. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm really excited because uh, for me, this is a, a, a podcast 15 years in the making because I met uh, both James and Squirrel uh, in the same year. We, we met both of you in, in 2006. Uh, at KitCon, and James was at the very first one, and uh, KitCon is the Continuous Integration and Testing Conference, and we invited uh, James to come because he wrote an article said, uh, Why I Hate Cruise Control. And since <laughs> I worked on cruise control, and that was kind of the motivation for the conference, we, we had to hear about that. So uh, uh, James, really, uh, we've talked uh, several times since then, and it's uh, you know always great uh, talking to you and really happy to have you at the podcast. Yeah, always a pleasure. Thanks for coming. I know that I used to read uh, The Art of Agile Development. Now, I had my physical copy, but I could never find it. And the great thing was, James, that you had put uh, large swathes of it. And very cleverly, a couple bits were still, please buy the book to read this part. But when I couldn't remember something and I couldn't find my copy, I always knew I could go find it on your website. And I, I gather you're gradually doing the same thing with the second edition. Is that right? Uh, yeah, to the degree that my publisher will let me. <laughs> the But if you want to find more about the book, it is online or there's information about it online at jamesshore.com slash s slash aoad2 for Art of Agile Development 2. And um, I am doing a weekly book club uh, about the various parts of the book. And as I do that, I put that part of the book up for free for people to read. Then we talk about it. And then the YouTube video of that talk uh, goes online as well. So there's lots of bonus content available uh, on that site. Gee, I wish we'd had YouTube back in 2004 or whatever it was when I was uh, originally reading reading and using the book. Um, the, the best thing, the thing I found most helpful, uh, which I, I'm, I'm certain and, and can see already is, is happening also in the second edition, is James, you tell people what to do, which is really, really <laughs> helpful. <laughs> <laughs> because I was just clueless. I didn't have any idea what I was doing or how things should work or anything. And um, I would just look it up and it would say, if this is happening, do that, which is kind of the conceit of our podcast, right? It's called Troubleshooting Agile. We're trying to help people who have symptoms to cure them. So I, I'm wondering, I assume that was a conscious effort. Did, did you find that difficult to do? Did you find the symptoms um, easy to identify and the cures um, uh, easy to write about? And, and what changed since the first edition? Well, the book has always been a how-to guide. You know, there's there's so many books available about talking about what Agile is or why you would do it. But what I wanted to do with the first edition and also with the second is I wanted to create a comprehensive how do you actually make this work in practice uh, type of guide. So yeah, that is that is what the book is. And I, I think we succeeded at that. Um, uh, my co-author for the first edition was Shane Warden, and then I had uh, several guest contributors for this edition as well, Diana Larson and Gita, uh, Gita Klitgaard. So yeah, mostly I'm just channeling. I, I work as a consultant, so I work with a lot of people who uh, hire me to help them do Agile better. And so I'm basically channeling that. Now, of course, there is only there's not just one right way to do Agile. There's many right ways, 
But my intention with the book is to say, here's a good starting place. Here's where you can experiment from here. And like you're saying, if you're having problems, this is what to look for. These are the conditions you should be looking for to create a successful environment. One question before we get into some of the specifics is it occurs to me that we're kind of old school here in some ways in talking about Agile because I see a lot of people online would say, oh, you know, Agile's passe. That's that's old. Do you, what, what's your response to that? Obviously, you've just invested in, you know, art of Agile <laughs> again. So what, what's your thoughts? People say, oh, you know, Agile's old news. Yeah, you know, and it, it was a it's not a small investment. I did about 15 months of full-time work putting this new edition together. It is a complete ground-up rewrite of the first edition. Um, and to those people who say Agile is old or outdated, I would say, well, you're not wrong in that the word Agile has been used for a lot of organizations for a long time. But I would say that Agile is just as revolutionary and just as infrequently practiced now as it was 15 years ago when I first wrote the first edition, which actually it came out at the end of 2007. So it'd be 14 years ago, pretty much from now. And that's, and, and I say this in the very first chapter of the book, there's a lot of people using the word agile, but not a lot of people actually following the ideas. And so one of the things that I did with the book, uh, just to add a little bit of fun is I put in with these, these cargo cult agile sidebars, little stories <laughs> of what do you see when people think they're practicing agile in a, and, and they're really not. Um, and those, so throughout this book, there's all these little stories that, are caricatures, but some of my readers might find a little uncomfortably close to home. <laughs> Fantastic. That, that, that idea of, of um, not quite agile and cargo cult is something certainly that uh, we experience many times. And so I'm, I'm very much on board with agile is still relevant and I'm not embarrassed to use it again. Um, even if people have done many things in the name of agile that turned out to be the opposite of agile. <laughs> yeah, so many things. Um, what, and I think it's, this is going to come back to the troubleshooting guide. One of the things I like about it uh, in, in this um, edition of the book is to be able to say, you know, this is uh, uh, the, the problems I'm seeing. We're trying to be agile, but, you know, we see this this problem. And I, I, I really like that uh, troubleshooting approach. And that's uh, the inspiration for the podcast name as, as well. And, and I'm curious, what are the, some of the... Um, the, the symptoms like this that you see most frequently in the clients. So if you got dropped into a, like a, a median client and you looked around, what's an example of a, of a symptom you might see or something you might experience that made you go, ah, you know, let's, let's look in one of these things. Right. Well, um, there's a sidebar in, in chapter four, I believe of the book called troubleshooting guide, uh, which when I saw that, you know, when you gave me the invite to join your podcast and I saw the name of the podcast, I was like, well, this, this is something we obviously have to talk about. <laughs> um, and, uh, there's, there are several things that I have listed here, but I would say one of the ones that is a really common one is a team spending a lot of time estimating, planning and tracking their work, uh, rather than necessarily focusing on doing the work they're spending a lot of time tracking it and planning it and so forth i agree that's one i see a lot as well and uh, um we we did a earlier podcast on this idea of uh um control it was the tilted slider podcast and it was a, something that squirrel uh, uh described this idea that there's a, a slider but it's tilted so that the tendency is for the the bar to slide down towards the control end <laughs> as opposed to mm -hmm. the productivity end. Well, it's actually productivity and um, predictability. 
And the tendency is for people to sort of slide down toward predictability because they want control. Yeah. So they, they say, all right, well, we've got to estimate more. We were off last sprint. And the solution is for us to have more control, for us to tighten what we're doing and to become more predictable. And uh, gosh, that does seem to hurt our productivity. But, you know, we've got to be in control. And that's the force of gravity. That's what pulls you down to the uh, predictability end of the slider. Whereas, in fact, almost all organizations I encounter that aren't building nuclear power plants could do a lot with an awful lot more unpredictability and a lot more productivity. And often when I show up, that's what I introduce. When I look at the, the um, options you give to investigate when people have this symptom, I see that you give three of them. You know, team is required to use a corporate tracking tool. <clears throat> Jira um, <laughs> comes to mind. <laughs> um, uh, team is required to create predictive plans or detailed forecasts, which I think fits very well in, in what Scroll's describing. But then I really like this uh, last one. Team needs to develop focusing fluency. Can you, what do you mean by that? Focusing fluency. That's, I think, something to be unfamiliar to people. Um, so one of the things that we did differently, I say we, it was really just me this time around. Um, one of the things that I did differently in this edition of the book is um, the, the book is built around a model that Diana Larson and I created called the Agile Fluency Model, which is a way of describing the different results that she and I have seen on Agile teams over the years. Um, Basically, you can divide uh, divide agile teams into four sort of zones, and these zones are are not exclusive, and it's not a maturity model, so you don't pass through one to get to the other. There's just mm -hmm. four choices, and you can check the boxes on any one of these. Um, and those four zones are focusing fluency, delivering fluency, optimizing fluency, and strengthening fluency. And Focusing fluency is really what people think of when they think of Scrum. It's the ability for the team to work well as a team and focus on specific business outcomes. Uh, delivering fluency is the ability for the team to deliver reliable, high-quality software reliably and whenever their business stakeholders want them to. Um, uh, not as fast as they want them to necessarily, but whenever the business stakeholders say, yep, ship it, the team pushes a button and they ship it. And this is really correlated with extreme programming and DevOps style practices. And then optimizing fluency is the ability for the team to really meet the needs of its market independently of the rest of the organization. Um, and this is where you see things like lean startup. So you could see how you could do any one of these three things um, independently or together. And so the book is organized around these first, first three zones. And so when we say the team needs to develop focusing fluency, um, it may be that they're spending a lot of time estimating, planning, and tracking work because they're not yet fluent at the practices required to do estimating, planning, and to a lesser degree, tracking in an agile environment. I, I really, one thing I like here that comes in and, I'm, and, I'm, and I know will come in, especially when you talk about the development practices, is the idea of the skill of the practitioners involved. Yeah, and, and absolutely. That's what, and that's what you're describing here in part is the fluency. And I think this is something that's often I see left out in discussions uh, of people adopting Agile. They, they, they don't think of the team skill as a, a, a constraint on the ability of the team to execute. And so if things aren't working, then it's like, well, I guess this Agile stuff doesn't work. <laughs> well, and, 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 you know, we certified the team. They, they all have certifications as Scrum Masters, so they have the sufficient skills. So, of course, they're fluent. Tick, yeah. tick, on to the next one. 
You know, I think it goes even further than that, though, because not only do you need to invest in the team skills and the teams teams do have a lot to learn. I think before you can successfully invest in team skills and see that fluency, and fluence is uncon fluency is unconscious competence. It's what you can do when you're not thinking about it, what you do by default. Um, for example, I'm fluent in English most of the time. And so I can just have this conversation without you, with you without having to focus on every single word I'm saying. Um, but more than the skills needed for fluency, what's really needed for fluency that I think a lot of organizations miss is the organization itself has to change the constraints the teams are under. And this troubleshooting guide that we're talking about in the book, it's actually in the context of how does an organization need to invest to create the ability to create fluency in their teams. That's really great because I think that's the idea of looking at the larger context, again, is something that people often leave out. It, and it's looked as seen just as a an example, just something that the team needs to work on. So it's uh, that the team isn't delivering, but you're actually saying, well, there's some organizational responsibility here as well. Am, am I hearing that right? Yeah. Yeah. So for example, with this, this question of estimating planning and tracking, well, one of the reasons teams spend a lot of time estimating planning and tracking is if they're required to use a corporate tracking tool, like, like JIRA, um, that is really, they call themselves agile tools, but they're kind of anti-agile tools and that they, they're more about controlling the work, as Squirrel was saying, rather than allowing the team to own its own plans. Because a, a fluent focusing team, a, an agile team that's really good at uh, working as a team and focusing on business results, one of the things you'll see from them is they're going to own their process. They're going to decide for themselves what to work on and how that work is going to be done. This is one of the sort of essential ideas of agile is that uh, it's adaptive rather than predictive and it's people uh, centric, people-oriented rather than process-oriented. Uh, those those two statements are from Martin Fowler, and I just love them. <laughs> so, so if the organization isn't willing to delegate that authority and responsibility to the teams, teams are going to really struggle with being agile. And, and there's a flip side of this because I was I was thinking to myself as you were reading out the three, gee, James has missed one. But, but I think you haven't actually because you've just said the flip side of it. You said the organization should invest in um, the, the team's independence and ability to adapt and so on. And the flip side of that is um, many organizations that I come into uh, have a um, totally skewed view of risk. And so the, the team will, will kind of self-censor and will say, we're going to be in so much trouble if we miss anything for this sprint. It would be terrible. We would have a risk that um, we, we might have incomplete features or uh, we might have to release, but we wouldn't have all the components and we wouldn't have all the edge cases covered. Um, we, we might tell people we were going to finish something and it wouldn't be done. So what we'll do is we will on ourselves, we will take ourselves further down the tilted slider. We will move ourselves to a, a more corporate uh, approach and an anti-agile tool because we want to be low risk. And what the organization can do is say, hey, we actually like risk. I work in a lot of startups, so they tend to be extremely risk friendly. So a lot of what I wind up doing is having the founder explain to the tech team, could you please break some more things? How about, could we have some more bugs? How about if we had some downtime? Uh, so uh, I, I wonder, James, if that's part of your, your fluency uh, notion there. Uh, it absolutely is. Uh, it that tends to come in more at the optimizing zone of fluency where the team is deciding for themselves what business priorities to focus on. Uh, whereas teams that don't have that optimizing fluency or aren't, aren't pursuing it, they're typically in a situation where they're being told what to deliver. Um, and a focusing, 
a fluent focusing team will still be able to self-organize around how to deliver that work, but they're not necessarily going to decide for themselves what to work on. And that's mm -hmm. something you see in a lot of a lot of uh, sort of bigger organizations where they'll have a product owner and a, and a scrum master who are kind of outside the team telling what the team needs to do. And that's not all every, you know, that's not what you see from the best agile teams, but you can be agile in, in other ways and still be responsive to people telling you what to do. But if you're troubled by the experience of your team estimating and, and planning extensively when you don't want them to, one thing to think about is they might not, you're, you're saying, be um, fluent. Uh, they might not have optimizing fluency that would allow them to, to make better choices, to take more risks, to um, decide better which things to take on and which things to include and which things to estimate in detail and which things not. Did I hear that right? Yeah, I'd say so. I think this particular one is uh, what we have under uh, uh, Teams. Uh, the other uh, couple of the other points in this section are team software doesn't do what stakeholders needs, or team software does what the stakeholders need, but isn't a business success. And that's where we start to get into the optimizing fluency a bit more. But I really like the way you describe that uh, that that slider where you tend to slide into control, um, and that's definitely something that we have here. Is that, or at least that I see, is that teams are often in an environment where they are either sort of believe that they have a need to do a lot of prediction and forecasting, or they're actually in an environment with a lot of prediction and forecasting demands on the teams. And when that happens, you do see this sort of um, clenching up where people will spend inordinate amounts of time trying to predict a future that is inherently unpredictable. Cool. Uh, well, you know what I'm going to suggest is we're, we're doing so well with you, James, and uh, this is so interesting. I I'm wondering if we can record a, a section for next week, and, and if you could be with us um, for, for two weeks. How would you feel about that? Would that be okay? That'd be great, yeah. Fantastic. So if listeners are interested in hearing more from James, come back next week because we'll be here uh, next Wednesday with another edition of Troubleshooting Agile. This week, if you want to disagree with us, if you want to tell us that, uh, for instance, um, uh, Jira is a great Agile tool, we'd sure like to hear from you. If you if you work with Jira, we'd love to have one of the, the Jira team on the, on the program. Um, so we'd love to hear from you there. We'd also love to hear from you if you uh, are challenged with some of these, if you have uh, troubleshooting challenges. Uh, we, we like hearing from listeners, and you can do that at agileconversations.com. So uh, come and find us there. Come back next week for another edition of Troubleshooting Agile with James, who's going to stick around for that. And uh, th thank you, James, so much for being with us. And uh, thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks, Carl. Thank you.